0: Happy New Year. Good to see all of you here today. Um, And as we start out this new year, I thought we would reflect on something, which is what we just did. We just had Mo and the worship team lead us in worship. And I don't know how much you've ever really thought about why do we worship? Um, What is worship? And I want to look at that today, because, you know, we could have come here today, and I know, and my wife just corrected me, I was telling her in the previous service that she's been playing drums in her 20s, and she goes, I started at eight years old, I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> so she's been playing a long time, but she was in a rock band in her 20s, and, you know, if you think about it, um, I know in the the songs are in my era, awesome songs, awesome rock songs. You know, we could be playing those up here. You know, but we're not. We're instead singing songs to the Lord, worshiping God. And I want us to reflect today as we start this new year as to really what is worship and why do we worship. And I want to start by looking at the passage, one of the passages that's assigned as part of our lectionary today. And it's a passage in Psalms and we're going to just look at the first two verses of that Psalm that helps us to start understanding what is worship. And so it's Psalm 29, and this is a psalm that David wrote. And I always picture, you know, with David, I always think of someone who just, when he's praying these psalms, when he's singing, they would sing these psalms. I could just uh, I picture him doing but with just so much vibrancy and so much just crying out to God. And this is what he says in just the first two verses of Psalm 29. He says, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So he starts out by using this word ascribe. And he repeats this three different times. Ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. You know, that's not a word I typically hear us use these days, a scribe, like, you know, what does that really mean? Well, the Hebrew word in back of a scribe, the Hebrew word that's actually used here is called Yahab. Now, does that help a lot of you to understand what a scribe means? No? No. Okay, well, I guess no, no one knows Hebrew here. Um, yahab is the word we translate a scribe. And really what it means is it means to to bestow something on someone else. It's to impute, to give something and recognize or acknowledge someone for something. And so what we have here is we have David saying, I'm ascribing to the Lord what is due his name. I'm ascribing to him his glory, which also means honor. I'm ascribing to him his strength. And so it's David recognizing it's not really him who has that honor and strength. It's really he's giving anything he even thinks he has. He says it's really all about the Lord, the Lord God. And so he's ascribing this to him. He's doing that. And then the last line, it's a scribe, a scribe, a scribe. And then the last line, he says, worship. And when you see this in Hebrew poetry, That last line when he says worship means he's really there saying everything I've just said before, all the subscribing is really what worship is. Worship is about giving all the glory and the strength and the honor to God, to the Lord. Now this is in the Old Testament. So here he's giving that honor, glory and strength to Yahweh, which is what's behind the word Lord. But we now are in the New Testament era. And I want to ask, have us ask ourselves, okay, so is worship differently? Do we worship differently than what Paul did? Well, we definitely worship the same God, but how does that worship look now? Um, why do we do it for any different reasons than what we did before? And so in doing so, I want to take a look at what uh, um, a professor called James Torrance, James Torrance, he sort of wrote the classic book on worship, and it was, it's called Worship, Communion, and the Triune God of Grace. And he was a minister in Scotland, in the Church of, uh, Church of Scotland. He also was a theologian, a professor. He taught here at Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, he, in fact, even had a home here in Newport that he was at. Well, he's passed away now. He passed away in 2003. Um, but this little book he wrote on worship, really is where he tried to capture what is worship today? Why do we worship? Is there something different in the New Testament about how we do that? And what he does is he opens up with two different views of worship. And I want us to take a look at those. So the first view he gives of what worship is, is he says, worship is something which we do. We go to church. We sing songs to God. We pray to God. We offer our money, time, and talents to God. We listen to a sermon about God. Worship is really what we do before God. And if you think about it, that really, I think, captures what a lot of us see worship as. It is exactly what we're doing today. All right, We came to church. We are singing songs about God and to God. We pray to God. We just did our offering, offering our money, time, and talents to God. And now we're listening to a sermon about God. In fact, when I'm done, we are now, go- we are then going to be doing communion. Jeff is going to lead us in communion. So this is his first view. This is what worship is. It captures a lot of what generally we think of as worship. But what he says then is he says, you know, when you take a look at the New Testament, the New Testament says something somewhat differently. Maybe a lot differently about that view of worship. It captures what we just, he said in the first view, but there's something much more different about what new, the New Testament is trying to do in leading us into worship, in telling us why we worship. And so he then offers that second view, that view that he says is really the New Testament view of what worship is. And this is what he said. Worship Is a gift of participating through the Holy Spirit in what Christ has done once and for all and what Christ is doing today in his communion with the Father. So listen to the difference between these two. The first one, notice the focus is on us, it's what we do before God. This view is really that we are not just us doing something for God, but that we are actually participating when we worship in something that God is doing among us. We're just participating in that. We're doing that through the Holy Spirit. We're doing that with a focus on what Christ has done. And we're doing that also with looking at what God is doing in our lives now and what he's going to do in the future. So he offers us and says, this is not really, in, in some ways, this is not just what worship is, but it is also why we worship. It's about us participating. And notice that he brings out the triune God. He brings out the God, which in the Old Testament is more seen as just Yahweh, the one God. In the New Testament, we have it much more revealed that God is really three persons. God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. And in worship, he brings out the fact that in worship, all three people of the Godhead, the fullness of God is being worshipped through the Spirit, through the Father, through the Son. And so what I'd like to do today is I would like to really unpack that, what he talks about worship more. And uh, I would like to do that through a passage in Romans. I don't think um, Torrance ever really connected these two, but I looked at this passage and I thought, this really, really says what he is saying in his description and really brings out the fullness of what are we doing when we worship. And this passage is in Romans 6, and just to give you a little bit of a context to it, is... That before, right before Romans 6 opens up, Paul has been talking about how much more grace we've been given multiplied so much more than any sin that we've been forgiven um, in Christ. And he says this, he says in 520, he says, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. And people during, during the day of Paul, and I would say even people today, today, we can have a tendency to think, you know, God is this God of love. He's this God of grace. He gives us forgiveness. And so, you know, if I sin a little bit, so much more of a God's grace come in and forgive me, All right. In fact, some people used to say, well, let's just sin more. Then God has an opportunity to forgive us more, to give us more of his grace. This is Paul's response to that. He says in the opening of chapter 6, he says, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Paul's answer, absolutely not. Absolutely not. He says, How can we who die to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware? That all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So Paul is saying, with all this abundant grace and what God has done, no, we don't sin more. We've been freed from that. Really, what Paul is going to do is bring out in these next few verses in chapter 6, in the opening of chapter 6, first half of it, he brings out really the answer as to why do we worship this God? Why do we come here on Sundays? Why do we sing songs to him? Why do we do communion? He's going to look and say, and try to really give us a fullness of what Torrance said in his description as to why and how we worship God. Okay, so we're going to take a look at that as we go through Romans 6. We're going to look at verses 4 through 10. And... Before we actually walk through them, one thing I want to point out is if you look at the slide um, that really captures all the verses between Romans 6, 4 through 10, you can see, notice what it says when you take a look at the slide. Look at all what I've underlined there. It says, we were buried with him, meaning Christ. We were united with Christ. We were crucified with Christ. We died with Christ. We live with him. When we hear the word participation, there it is. What we're doing in worship is we are doing something with Christ. Our participation is with him. We have been united with him, and now we are participating with him. And as we worship, we really are doing that with him is what this gets across. Also, I want you to notice is in the description that Torrance gave us that he said that worship when we worship is about what Christ has done once for all. And what Christ is continuing to do. So as we worship, we focus, on not, we focus on three things. We focus on the past, what has Christ done for us. We focus on the present, what is he doing right now. And we focus on the future, our hope. And worship really encompasses all of that. And in these passages, in this passage, Paul really brings all that out about this past, present, and future. And I'm going to sort of highlight that as we go through this passage, is where we see those different aspects of what Christ has done, what he is doing, what he's going to do in the future, and how we participate in that. So I'm going to open up, first of all, with Romans 6, uh, verse 4. So this is how Paul starts this. He says, Therefore, we were buried with him, meaning Christ, by baptism into death. So that's something we were. That's something that has happened to us as believers, as those who have put their faith in Christ. We were buried with Christ in his death. Our sins have been forgiven through that. That's something that's happened in the past. And he says, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, again referring to something Christ did in the past, he died and he rose again. And you would almost expect at this point, if you listen to that chain that he's saying, you would expect Paul to then say, okay, we we, we were buried with him, we were raised with him, and now that's so we too can participate in that. But what he says instead is he says, and it's sort of almost jarring, he says, so we too may walk in newness of life. Isn't that a great promise for a new year? Don't you all want to walk in the newness of life? That is what he says when we worship, we are participating and we're living out this newness of life. And the question then is, what does that mean? (laughs) How do we do that? How do we live out this newness of life? Well, Paul is going to unpack that in the next couple chapters in Romans. But what he reveals is that this newness of life is connected to the Spirit. It's connected to the Holy Spirit. Remember how Torrance said in his description that we worship, we participate through the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has a role in our worship. And in Romans 7, 6, Paul then makes this connection. He says, so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit. And then in Romans 8, 4, he says that we can walk according to the spirit. So there's some way in which the spirit is key to what we do within our worship. In fact, it's so key that in John 4, in the gospel of John, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well and starts having this conversation with her. As part of this conversation, the Samaritan woman says, you know, we worship God here, Jesus, and you Jews worship him down in Jerusalem. You know, where are we supposed to worship God? And Jesus says, in essence, he says, it's not about where you worship him. It's now how you worship him. You now worship him through the spirit and truth. That is how we worship. So even Jesus starts there, bringing out the aspect that our worship has to do with the Holy Spirit, that we can't worship without the Spirit being involved in that. Now, I will tell you that that was new to me for the first 10 years of my Christian life. Uh, I was, uh, I never grew up in a Christian home. And I came to Christ when I was 28 years old at a church up in the Bay Area. And the church was, now looking back on it, um, the church was pretty conservative. It was a large church of about 5,000 people. And we had worship and we did what we're doing here. But I grew up with that worship there, great songs and everything to God. But guess what? This is how they worshiped. No one raised their hand. In fact, if someone raised their hand, they were ostracized. ostracized. It was like people, you know, if anybody would try to go like this, people are all like, what are you doing? What are you doing? All right. And so that was the environment that I grew up in. And so I was used to just worshiping, singing songs, but nothing else. And then in 1996, um, I had left that church. A lot of things, different things happened to the church and it sort of broke into different pieces and stuff. And I was invited to a new church in 1996. Well, this church I was invited to was in East Menlo Park. And when I went there for the first time, there were about 300 people there. Of those 300 people, at least 80% of them were black. All right. And I was not used to that, to be honest. And I walked into this church that was largely black. In fact, it had been formed purely as a black church of just like 25 people. And by then it had grown to about 300, 80% black, about 20% white, mixed. And I walked into that church and I went, wow. (laughs) I mean, it was not, it was not charismatic or Pentecostal, but they were so free in their worship. And I just started experiencing a worship like I've never really experienced it before. But I noticed that I was still very much like, uh, I don't want to raise my hand. I don't want to fake it. I don't I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I really struggled with this. And I really felt like I still was holding myself back and, and didn't really understand even the spiritual role in this. And so I had an opportunity in the year 2000 to go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in New York. And the reason why I went is I went with a friend. This was a year, just almost exactly a year before 9 nine eleven. And we went to the church, and we went there because we heard that every Tuesday night they get together for prayer. 2,000 people get together for prayer every single Tuesday night. And my friend and I wanted to just go and understand that and experience that. we would never experienced anything like that before. So we went there, And I remember, you know, going in, you know, 2,000 people, they're just worshiping God in ways, you know, I mean, just like, wow, people coming forward and everything. And I'm there worshiping God and singing songs as part of that and everything. And all of a sudden, I realized my hand was like this. (laughs) That I was actually praising God and worshiping God with my hands, which I had never done before. And I didn't even think about it. All of a sudden, I just really experienced that moment really what it meant for the spirit to participate with the spirit in that worship. I had never really got that before. And it changed the way that I worship because I now recognize that it's not just about Greg being here, worshiping God. It's about the spirit working through me. And this isn't about doing weird things or anything necessary with worship. It's not about that. It's just letting all of us, our whole being participate in that worship of God. And that's what Paul is getting at here. This is the newness of life we can experience even as we worship because we have the Spirit participating with us in that. Then in verse 5, Paul then says, For if we have been united with him, again with Christ, in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. This brings out another aspect of what happens as we're worshiping God. Something is happening where we are taking what has happened in the past and we're taking our hope of resurrection with Christ in the future. And as we worship, these two, through the Spirit, are actually coming together in our lives. They're coming together to where the past of what Christ has done for us is spilling into our present the hope of what we have for the resurrection and eternal life of the future is spilling into the present. And both these are coming together to transform us into the likeness of Christ. If you've ever thought about it, but as you're worshiping God, you are actually being conformed into his likeness. You're becoming more like him as you do that. As the past and the future come together in the present, we get to participate in that today. It's like we don't have to just wait for the future. We actually get to participate through the spirit with Christ today as part of that. And then in verse 6 through 7, he reveals one of the main reasons why we worship and why we worship and why Christ is the focus of our worship. Because look at what Paul says in verse 6 and 7. He says, now watch how he uses All these different tenses in how he talks. He says, For we know now, in the present, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ. Our old self was crucified with him in the past. Christ died in the past, but when we put our faith in Christ, our old self is crucified in the past with that. We're given new life, a new creation, he says that old self was crucified in the past so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since the uh, person who has died is freed from sin. That is a reason to worship. We have been set free from the bondage of sin. In fact, I don't know if you realize uh, remember The song you sang one of the last songs of worship today that Mo led us in, the song is called I Am Set Free. And this is what some of the language in that song it says, You broke my chains of sin and shame. I am set free. It is for freedom that I have been set free. What do we do when we worship? We're worshiping what Christ has done for us, that he has set us free from the bondage of sin, that we have a new freedom in Christ. This is why we get to experience the newness of Christ. No longer are we in bondage to sin. No longer are we enslaved to that. We have a new master. We have Jesus Christ who has freed us from that. We're now free to worship in the Spirit. We're free to live life no longer under that bondage. Do we still sin? we we know we do but we but we are no longer enslaved to that that's no longer what holds us down that's no longer what rules and reigns in our life it's now Christ who rules and reigns and when we worship we are celebrating that he is the one that has done that for us so the more we worship him the more we do that, the more we sing these songs like Mo Lettison, the more we actually experience that freedom. In fact, it's one of the ways we experience the freedom that we have in Christ. And then Paul moves into the next set of verses in 8 through 10, where he now takes, okay, this is where you are now. You are free from sin. And he now says, if, now if really the word is sense there, since We have died with Christ. Since this has already happened in the past, we put our faith in, we believe right now in the present that we will also live with him. See how we just went from the past to the present to the future. And that all happens when we're in worship is we are all those things are coming into it. And it says... Because why can we say this and declare this and worship this way? Because we know in the present again that Christ, having been raised from the dead in the past, he will never die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. This is the Jesus. This is the Christ that we participate in his life, this eternal life that he has. This is really the gospel. If anybody ever asks you, what is the gospel? Okay, what does that mean? Really, these verses, even just 8 through 10, really captures the essence, the good news of what Christ has done for us. The good news as to why we worship him today is because... We have died with him. He died for us. We have been risen with him and we will one day be given new resurrected bodies. I say hallelujah to that. I feel it. Bodies that will never die. Bodies that will never decay. Bodies that will live forever without no more pain. I know, how many of you can say hallelujah to that? I say hallelujah to that. <laughs> okay. I am looking forward to that body. In fact, sometimes my prayers Jesus, can you give me a little taste of that today? A little taste of that body without all that pain and everything and that aging that happens with that. So this is worship. This is really what we're doing when we're worshiping God. We are participating in what the Spirit, with the Spirit, of what Christ did once for all over almost 2,000 years ago. And to free us from sin to give us a new master, which is him, to give us new life that can come from him, to give us eternal life that gives us hope and the certainty of what is going to happen in the future where we're given that new, those new bodies, where we get to see Jesus actually face to face. This is what we do when we celebrate and we proclaim and we ascribe when we worship, um, when we come here and we worship. And what happens next is in the next verse, what Paul does is he's taken all that he just described here and he says, now what do we do with it? Up to this point, he's only told us the facts. He's only said, this is the way things are. This is who Christ is. This is who you are in him. But now Paul says, how do we do that? How do we experience that? And he does it in verse 11. He just says, so you too... Consider, and this is a command, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are to consider that we have the same life that Christ does. That we have been, we have died to sin, we are alive today in God. And we can live in that aliveness, if that's a word. (laughs) We can live in that newness of life. And the way we start, if you're going, I don't feel that, I don't experience that. Well, what you have to do is just start doing it. That's what consider is. Consider means set your mind on this. Just set your mind. The world just wants to capture our mind, doesn't it? Everything we're doing wants to just pull us into the world. And what we do is we have to make the effort and take the step and just shift our focus and consider what Christ has done. Consider all the things we've done here. This is how the Spirit works. The Spirit doesn't just work by us sitting here going, okay, I'm waiting for the Spirit to come. Mm -hmm. Hello, come on, come on, Spirit. No, the Spirit says, you start walking. You start moving. Consider, really is like, take a walk. It says walk in the Spirit. It really gives the idea when Paul says that, that we have to start taking the step. Then the Spirit comes in. And actually helps us to continue to take those steps. So here's my challenge to you. And as I told the first service, it's really a challenge to myself as I've recognized that I come here on Sundays and I realize, you know, I'm dealing with technology and I'm trying to make sure everything's going okay. And I find out a lot of times I'm not worshiping God. I'm just making sure everything's working well. And I've realized I really need myself to call myself to that to call myself to that worship because that is how we first of all experience that newness of life and so my challenge to all of us is hey even come early i mean if you come to particularly if you come to the first service you can come like an hour early and they're actually practicing and it's awesome listening to them practice come on time be here to worship all the songs And you know, when you come here, if you go, I just don't feel like it. Come anyway, start singing, and you will see the spirit come inside of you and bring what is a life where you're just going, ah, and to enliven that life in the spirit and bring you into the worship of Christ. So as a summary, Why do we worship? Looking at what Paul just talked about here. (coughs) Excuse me. We, as we worship, we experience the newness of life with Christ through the Holy Spirit. As we worship, we are transformed into the likeness of Christ. As we worship, we praise God the Father that Christ has set us free from our enslavement to sin. As we worship, we put our hope in Christ for our resurrection and our eternal life with him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you all the praise and all the thanks and all the glory and all the strength. We thank you that you are a God who has sent your son, who died on a cross for us to free us from the bondage of sin and to give us freedom, to give us new life, Lord. And I pray right now, if there's anybody here with us, if there's anybody who has not yet placed their faith in you, Lord, that today, it says in Corinthians, today is a day of your salvation. Today is a day you can start experiencing that newness of life. Today is a day you can say, I am no longer under the bondage to sin. I have been given the newness of life. I have been given eternal life that I can start experiencing today by simply placing my faith, turning from my old ways, turning from sin, placing my faith in Christ. So Lord, we pray for this new year, Lord. May you take us to a whole new level of our worship of you, Lord. Whether it's on Sundays, whether it's any time, any day of the week, Lord. Call us to worship you. May your spirit fall upon us as we do that, the spirit that lives in us. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.